0: Kia ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners, the Auckland Faculty. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, and today I welcome Dr Georgina Harvey to the podcast. Today we are discussing warts in all, managing cutaneous warts in primary care. Georgina graduated from medical school at the University of Adelaide, She is a fellow of the Royal Australasian College of Dermatologists and a fellow of the Royal Australasian College of Physicians, the paediatric division. She lives and works in Auckland as a paediatric dermatologist at Starship Hospital. Kia ora and welcome to the podcast, Georgina. Thank you very much for having me on Today we're discussing viral warts. For the purpose of this podcast, we won't be discussing annual genital warts, rather simple cutaneous viral warts. So let's start with a definition. What is a viral wart?
1: A viral wart is a common lesion which is benign and they occur due to infection with the human papillomavirus and another name for them are Veruca. So who gets warts
0: and how common are
1: they? So warts are most common in children with a prevalence of up to 30% in primary school children but warts can occur in people of all ages. And what's also more common in patients who are immunosuppressed. So
0: what causes cutaneous viral warts?
1: Cutaneous viral warts are due to infection with the human papillomavirus, also known as HPV. And the specific types that cause cutaneous warts are types 1, 2, 4, 27 and 57. HPV is spread by direct skin-to-skin contact or by auto-inoculation within the same person. The HPV likely enters the epidermis through a cut or abrasion at the skin surface. And then once in the skin, it infects the basal cells where it replicates.
0: Thinking about the clinical features of a viral wart, what are the common features that we should be looking for?
1: So there are lots of different types of viral warts. So I'll speak about them individually. And the most uh, frequent one that we'll encounter is that of the common wart. So a common wart looks like a hyperkeratotic dome-shaped papule or a plaque. They're usually located on the fingers or the backs of the hands as well as the knees and the elbows, and these sites are most typically affected because they're the sites where we have the most trauma and so presumably the most cuts and abrasions on the skin where the virus can enter the uh, basal cells. But you can get common warts anywhere on the skin. If you look at common warts very closely, particularly with a dermatoscope, you might see tiny black dots, and these represent hemorrhage into the stratum corneum. Very occasionally you can see a linear arrangement of the warts and that occurs due to auto-inoculation from scratching. The next most common type of wart that we will see are plantar or palmer warts and their name reflects their location. So they're located on the soles of the feet or the palms of the hands and they're thick endophytic, endophytic meaning extending inwards um, lesions and on their soles their deep inward growth can lead to discomfort or pain from pressure on walking. The next type of warts that we most commonly see are plain warts, plain spelt P-L-A-N-E, also called flat warts. And plain warts are skin-colored, pink or brown, flat-topped, just very slightly elevated papules, and they have a relatively smooth surface compared to the more typical bumpy surface that we see in common warts. And plain warts are usually seen on the backs of the hands, the arms, or the face. There are also filiform warts. Filiform warts are usually seen on the face and they're a protuberant lesion with slender finger-like projections. Occasionally, you might see a patient with warts that are described as butcher's warts. These are extensive and they're sometimes described as cauliflower-like, usually on the palms or the backs of the hands, sometimes around the fingernails in people who process meat or fish. There's another rare form of warts, a condition called epidermodysplasia verucaformis. This is a genetic disease and it's characterised by a susceptibility to skin infection with very specific HPV types. It usually presents in childhood with widespread papules that look like plain wards. They can also just look like small macules or thin plaques, similar in appearance to pityriasis versicolor. It is important to recognise this condition because these patients do have a high risk of squamous cell carcinomas developing in the sun-exposed areas.
0: So you've given us some lovely explanations, but thinking about diagnosis, you've mentioned a dermatoscope. Do we need a dermatoscope? How do we go about diagnosing them?
1: You don't need to have a dermatoscope. Usually you can diagnose warts clinically with a general examination on its own. But if you do have a dermatoscope, it can be helpful to distinguish warts from other diagnoses. Another useful piece of equipment for diagnosing warts is a scalpel blade. So in a hyperkeratotic lesion, you can use the scalpel to pare back the surface. And as I mentioned earlier, you can sometimes see the pinpoint black dots in some warts. I find this particularly helpful with plantar warts when you're distinguishing between a corn, which will not have any black dots, and a plantar wart, which will have the black dots. And those black dots are the small capillary um, vessels within the wart itself.
0: That's a great tip. Thank you. So thinking about differential diagnoses, what do we need to consider when seeing a skin lesion that looks like a wart? What else could it be?
1: The location of the wart influences what diagnoses we're considering to some extent. So for example, with a plantar wart on the foot, we should also consider a corn as a differential diagnosis. Corns are located at sites of pressure, although you may also have a wart at these locations of pressure. Warts and corns can be differentiated by two simple methods. First was the paring back, which I've already mentioned, and the other is by squeezing the lesion. So tenderness with a wart is maximal with lateral pressure of, of the lesion, whereas tenderness with a corn is greatest with direct pressure. If you're seeing a periungal wart-like plaque on the finger, you should consider Bowen's disease, and very rarely an amelanotic melanoma may persist as a periungal or plantar wart, and these are in very important di- differential diagnoses to keep in mind. Elsewhere on the body, there are other differential diagnoses. So, seborrheic keratoses can look sometimes similar to a wart. They can often be bumpy and verruca form, but demoscopy of seborrheic keratoses is very helpful in distinguishing them. In a young child on the body or the face, think about molluscum contagiosum. Molluscum contagiosum are quite characteristic in their appearance. And once you've seen them a few times, they're easy to spot, but they're more pearly in colour than a wart and then there'll be multiple and there's always a typical central umbilication in molluscum lesions other things to think about are squamous cell carcinoma or cutaneous horn cutaneous horns can arise from warts but they can also arise from other lesions such as actinic keratosis squamous cell carcinomas and seborrheic keratoses so thinking
0: treatment now do we need to treat warts
1: no we don't need to treat warts they often spontaneously resolve and thus treatment is not essential
0: So what would the indications for treatment be then?
1: Usually, treatment is patient-driven. So the patient would like to have their warts treated due to their dislike of the appearance of the wart or from symptoms that are coming from the wart. And that's usually related to plantar warts with the pain on walking.
0: So Georgina, thinking about treatment options, I wonder if we can work our way through a few of the options, talking about why we would choose a particular modality and how effective they are. Mm -hmm. So starting with PEPs, topical treatments.
1: Yes, certainly. So I think just something to think about in the beginning when we're thinking about treating warts is that because they do spontaneously resolve in most instances, we should always choose a treatment that will not result in scarring because we don't want to leave a permanent scar in something that was going to go away on its own with time. So the most common topical treatment that we would use is an over-the-counter wart paint that contains salicylic acid. And patients can buy this from the pharmacy. They're reasonably effective as far as wart treatments go, none of which are excellent, Um, but the effectiveness of wart paints is that about two-thirds of warts will resolve within three to four months of daily application of the wart paint. The most important thing is to explain to your patient how to use the wart paint and encourage them to use it for the full duration of the time. So uh, you need to ask the patient to first soften the wart in uh, the bath or the shower, or they can soak their hands or feet in a bucket of water. They need to pare back the wart after they've soaked it with an emery board or a pumice stone, and then the wart paint goes directly onto the wart. Some people like to occlude the wart with um, tape following application of the wart paint, but remember that this does increase the potential irritation around the wart. So if that's becoming a problem, then you can remove the occlusion and also advise the patient to take a break and let the inflammation settle down and then recontinue with the treatment, which, as I said, needs to go on for three or four months. If inflammation around the wart is occurring from the wart paint not being applied directly to the wart, then you can ask the patient to paint around the wart with some nail polish, or they can apply Vaseline each time around the wart. The next most common treatment that people use for warts is that of cryotherapy with liquid nitrogen. This does need to be performed regularly in order to be effective. And so regularly is every two or three weeks. And usually for a number of treatments, six treatments is often quoted in the literature as the treatment course for a wart. And about 70% of warts resolve after three or four months of regular cryotherapy. So that's similar to topical wart paint. And usually it would be used as a second line after wart paint has already been trialed. But it does have some downsides. It's painful, especially for children. It's not usually well tolerated. It can result in blistering. It's got a cost associated for the patient. It does risk permanent hypopigmentation because the cold temperature of the cryotherapy damages the melanocytes in the skin. It can damage superficial nerves if you use it to treat warts over the lateral aspect of the fingers. There's also a risk of causing a donut effect of the wart, and that happens when you use the cryotherapy to kill the wart in the centre but the wart virus at the periphery of the lesion is not destroyed. And then after the completion of the cryotherapy, you've got a donut-shaped uh, wart. Also, cryotherapy of periungal warts, so warts at, uh, around the nail base, can lead to nail dystrophy. So that's something to be aware of. Occasionally, warts are treated with curatage and electrodesiccation. This is really only for exophytic lesions uh, where the treatment can be really superficial because we don't want to leave scarring if we use this technique. Other treatments that we might use are topical retinoids. So commonly one might prescribe adapalene. It's also called different. And adapalene is useful for planar warts or plain flat warts. So these are the ones that are located, as I mentioned, on the face or the backs of the hands, and the adapalene can be applied once a day. Another treatment is that of duct tape occlusion. And then there are some other specialist treatments that are fairly infrequently required, but can be considered such as cantharidin, topical immunotherapy, or intralesional bleomycin. So Georgina, I wonder if we can just touch on cryotherapy, because there is
0: differing practices out in primary care. Some people are using a cotton bud, others are using a cryogun. And it is quite common to see the donut wart that you've mentioned. So can you talk about the optimal treatment when doing cryotherapy, please?
1: So with performing cryotherapy for warts, ideally you'd use a cryo gun, and the wart needs to be frozen for up to 10 seconds. It may well be a briefer freeze period if it's a small superficial wart, but it's important to see the ice ball form and a small rim of normal appearing skin around the wart to be treated in order that we ensure the entire wart and HPV-infected cells are treated. Because as you mentioned, Louise, the donut effect comes from when we kill the wart virus in the centre of the lesion, but not the HPV-infected cells at the perimeter of the lesion. And then With time, there will be recrudescence of the HPV-infected cells in a donut shape with dead HPV uh, cells in the centre.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you for clarifying that. So just moving on to outcomes now, you've mentioned spontaneous resolution. Tell us a bit more about this, and also I wonder if we can just talk about treatment failure.
1: Certainly. So up to two-thirds of warts spontaneously regress within two years, which is reassuring to be able to tell our patients, especially if they're not sure if they would like to have treatment or treatment has not been uh, effective. And large proportion of these resolve even sooner than the two-year time period. But if we are seeing treatment failure, there are a few things to consider. So it can be a red flag. And so in the first instance, it is important to reevaluate the lesion. And I'd suggest you use your dermatoscope uh, whilst you're doing this. Because if you're worried that there's a misdiagnosis, such as this lesion might represent a skin cancer, then it's really important that you do a skin biopsy to um, exclude this. Once you've re-evaluated the lesion and you're confident that your diagnosis is correct and it is a wart, then the next step is to ask the patient how they're performing their treatment at home. For example, if you'd recommend a topical wart paint, then ask specific questions about how they've been using the paint, how often in this past week or weeks they've been applying it and how many weeks or months the treatment's been going on for. Because oftentimes I find that people feel as though they've been using it for what feels like forever, but it's actually only been ad hoc for a month or so, and so it's just not been long enough or intensive enough. It's also important that in patients who have a high number of warts which have been overly persistent, that we remember that this can be... a presentation of patients who have suppressed cell-mediated immunity, and we could consider screening for this.
0: That's a great tip. Thank you. Wondering about the role of HPV vaccination, is there a role in preventing or treating cutaneous
1: warts? That's a very good question, Louise. So the HPV vaccine that we have funded in New Zealand is Gardasil 9 protects against nine types of HPV increased from the quadrivalent uh, Gardasil vaccine that we had until 2017 so Gardasil 9 protects against HPV 6 and 11 they're the strains that cause genital warts and it also protects against seven high risk oral genital cancer HPV types so that's HPV type 16 18 31 33 45 52 and 58 so these are not the strains of HPV that cause cutaneous warts but Despite this, interestingly, there have been a number of case reports, cohort studies and more recently an open-labeled uncontrolled single arm study in which there have been patients treated with a course of Gardasil vaccination after having established recalcitrant cutaneous warts and they have seen resolution of their warts. So it does seem likely that the Gardasil vaccine can assist in treatment of recalcitrant warts in some patients, but there haven't been any studies or case reports published to report their role in prevention of cutaneous warts. That's great. Thank you. And that's something to consider, isn't it? And watch the space.
0: Mm. Well, thank you for your time today, Georgina. I wonder if we can just conclude our podcast with some take-home messages, please.
1: Absolutely. So first up, I'd just like to remind everyone that warts are common and they generally don't require treatment. But if your patient would like treatment of their wart or warts, it's important to ensure that the management is non-scarring, given the likely spontaneous resolution of the wart with time. And finally, it's important to consider differential diagnoses in your evaluation, particularly skin cancers.
0: Thanks, Georgina. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points, please log them. You'll also find a list of resources on our website, goodfellowunit.org.